you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, we're going to continue looking at Mark as we journey through this book, wonderful gospel together. And um, we're going to look at the, probably one of the most well-known parables this morning, the parable of the sower. And I'd like to do that over two weeks, actually. I'd like to look at parables in general this week, and then I'd like to look specifically at the parable of the sower. Because Jesus says, if you look at this portion we're going to read, he says it's the most important parable, and it's the key to all the others. Isn't that interesting? So if we can understand this parable, what Jesus is saying to us about his kingdom, the parable of the sower, there is a key for us for all of the parables and the gospels, and we can understand something in a different way. And so it really is a key, key um, parable. So um, we're going to read together the first 20 verses of chapter 4. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, and so he got into a boat, and he sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seeds fell amongst thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they might indeed see but not perceive, and may hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, and they endure but for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Amen. So uh, I know this is probably um, something that you grew up in Sunday school uh, hearing, this, the parable of the sower, but it is a profound uh, parable. I really trust as we investigate it together over the next couple of weeks we're going to hear some new things out of this and they'll really speak into your hearts and your lives. So Father, I pray for your word. I pray for our hearts that they'll be soft. I pray that as we speak, 
about this over the next couple of weeks, that you would produce good fruit in us that would last our lives 30-fold, 100-fold, many times over. And we trust you for that in Jesus' name. All right, so here we see Jesus at the lakeside. He's not in the synagogue anymore, remember? He's now in a more casual kind of uh, environment. He's teaching from a boat, which becomes the platform from which he speaks to this large crowd, and it says they are gathered on the shore. And he starts to speak to them in these stories, these parables. And a parable is a word that's used to describe a kind of teaching. And like I said to you last week, it's not simple and straightforward teaching. It's not simplistic at all. In fact, parables were commonly used by rabbis. It was a common teaching tradition amongst the Jewish people. And they normally used stories to try and illustrate various things. Sometimes the stories included a puzzle that the people had to, for themselves, try and work out. Uh, riddles that were kind of questions and answers. And as the, the rabbi was teaching, he would ask a question, it would be answered, and that people would have to think for themselves and try and understand what the rabbi was uh, trying to get at. And so parables, far from being simple, straightforward little stories to entertain our children, parables are actually profound, uh, roundabout ways of learning about the gospel in a way that forces us to think for ourselves. Yeah? So that's what a parable is used for. And if we can understand this in terms of the whole of the Gospels, uh, it'll help us to unlock some things about the kingdom for ourselves, all right? And so here, if we look back at the first four chapters of Mark that we've already studied together, you would see that Jesus has already used a whole lot of stories, a whole lot of parables. For example, when we looked at um, uh, chapter 2, he said, I haven't come for the well, I've come for the sick. And he uses this image of a doctor and sick people to talk about our need of salvation, our need of forgiveness. He, uses, he used the picture of the wedding banquet, remember? When he's talking about uh, fasting, to explain to his disciples, he said, when the bridegroom is with you, you don't fast. But when the bridegroom is taken away, um, you need to fast. And I had a look at what that meant together with you. That was uh, chapter 2, verse 19. And then he also used that uh, picture of um, sewing a patch of a new patch onto an old garment, and he said, you can't do that. And remember, he said the garment and the wine, and then he used the, in, in parallel with that, he used the picture of the wineskin. He said, if you're going to put new wine into a wineskin, there must be a new wineskin, or else you lose the wine and you lose the, 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 the wineskin. And he used those kind of images up until this point. And last week, we also saw, he said, if you want to um, rob a, a house, you first have to bind up the strong man so that you can take his goods. Remember, we had a look at what that meant, and we looked at the unforgivable sin. And so Jesus already in his teaching has used all these kind of pictures to help us understand something of the kingdom. So I'd like to ask a very simple question as I go forward this morning. Why did Jesus choose this kind of teaching? And I've got four little things for you just um, to look at briefly. First of all, simply to make people listen. <laughs> to make people listen. Here he is. It's not a meeting like this. This kind of meeting has a beginning and an end. And it's kind of like we are here for a couple of hours together. It's a formal meeting in that sense. Jesus was not in a formal setting. He was no longer in the synagogue. He was teaching in an open-air environment, and he had to get people's attention. How many of you have done any kind of uh, um, work out in the streets? If you're trying to witness or share your faith, you've got to get people's attention, don't you? Or else they just kind of move on. And if you think of street performers, they are always trying to get people's attention by what they do. And that's, as soon as you've got someone's attention, you can speak into their life. And so this is what Jesus is trying to do. Unless he can capture and grab their attention and interest them, there's no way he's going to get them to listen to his message. That's the first thing. Secondly, I've already said they were familiar with this kind of method of teaching. Um, 
If you go and have a look at the Old Testament, I really want to encourage you with the Bible course again. It's a brilliant, brilliant uh, <clears throat> little series, and it helps us to get the big picture. Even in the Old Testament, there are parables. And the one I can think of most obviously is Nathan. Remember, Nathan comes to David and rebukes David through a story. And he tells him the story. He says there was a very rich man who had all flocks and animals and was extremely um, wealthy, and yet he chose to rob a poor man of his one ewe lamb that he had. And David gets upset and offended. And Nathan says to him, No, David, it is you. You are the one. You have robbed um, and taken Bathsheba, and you shouldn't have done that, and you've killed Uriah. Remember that story? He uses a parable. Uh, parable. Nathan uses a parable to explain to David what he's done. And so parables are even used in the Old Testament. So that's the first two things. He's trying to get their attention. It's a method they are familiar with in terms of a, the Jewish tradition. Thirdly, Jesus is trying to make abstract ideas concrete. Now just hear me on this for, for a moment. Most of us think in pictures. There are very few people that are gifted enough intellectually to think in concepts and to get it straight away. Most of us, myself included, we think in pictures. So, for example, what do I mean? If I was to try and describe to you what beauty is, we could speak for hours and I could try and describe in words what beauty is. And you might get it at the end of the conversation, you might not get it at the end of the conversation. But if I was to show you a beautiful picture, a beautiful scene, a beautiful woman or a handsome man, and say to you, that is beauty, you would get it straight away. Wouldn't you? In the same way, if I was to talk to you about goodness, we could debate what goodness is and how much we need goodness in the world and what goodness looks like, and we could agree and disagree on the, on the definition of it, but if I was to show you a good deed, you would get it instantly, wouldn't you? And this is what Jesus is trying to do. In all of the Scripture, the Scripture is not just intellectual, the Scripture is very practical. So Jesus takes abstract ideas and he makes them concrete so that we can understand them. And if you look at Paul, for example, Paul, when he's talking about faith, what does he point us to all the time? He points us to a person. He points us to Abraham. He says, consider Abraham. This, if you want to know what faith is, look at the life of Abraham and see for yourself what faith is. It's concrete. It's abstract ideas made flesh, made into things that we can see and touch. Are you with me? I'm up too loud this morning. Okay. All right. And so Jesus is doing the same things with parables. He's making these um, simple, he's speaking into a simple context, simple people, and he puts these abstract ideas into concrete stories and shows these ideas in action. And that's what I want to encourage you with as you read the Scripture, that for yourself, when you read the parables, that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's using pictures to help us to put concepts into tangible things that we can understand. And fourthly, Jesus is trying to get people to think for themselves. <laughs> we don't like to think for ourselves. Sometimes church can be a little bit like, come and feed me, Seymour. <laughs> Preacher, feed me. I need some food for the week. Preacher, feed me. Preacher, feed me. Well, that's part of what we do when we get together to be encouraged out of the Word. But you know what? Jesus wants Christians to think for themselves. And part of what we want to do as a church is try and equip you that you can live the life, live the Christian life. 
that you can read the Bible for yourself, that you can hear God for yourself and know that you are hearing God for yourself. Certainly when we come together, it's to encourage each other and to cheer each other on, but we've got to live our lives ourselves, isn't it? My faith is only good for me. Your faith is good for you. I can't live your life for you, can I? I can encourage you, I can stand with you, I can cheer you on, and that's what we want to do more and more. But our faith is individual in the sense that only we live in our skin, and only we can live our lives, and only we can overcome by the blood of the Lamb in our own lives. Yeah? And so this is what Jesus is doing. I believe this, the worst thing that we can do for our kids is to do everything for them. Worst thing. Fortunately, I thought of this example. I can't do maths homework for my kids, so I can't help them in that way. I don't know about you, but when the maths comes home these days, I'm like, well, speak to your mother. I, don't, I can't do it anymore. It's 25 years since I did maths. Uh, it's not good for us to write our English, their English essays or help them too much. What we want to do is, as parents, as moms and dads, we want to equip them so they can do it for themselves. And they can grow up and become mature adults. Isn't that true? And so... I believe in the same way. When we, as Christians, discover truth for ourselves, it has a double impact. Yeah? I mean, I believe in preaching. I believe that the Word goes out. I believe it sows into our lives. But when you hear and something happens and you get it yourself, it's a double impact. And you never forget it when you get it for yourself. And this is what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to encourage His disciples to have an active, inquiring mind, not to be passive and lazy. He didn't take the responsibility away from them and spoon feed them and say, I'm just going to give everything that you need. Just open your mouth like a little eagle and I'll just stuff food down your mouth. He didn't do that. He encouraged them to have an active thinking faith that engaged and thought and processed things so they could have it for themselves. All right? And I want to encourage you in your own walk with Jesus that you are active, questioning, thinking, asking God. That's what's going to sustain us as we live our lives for the next 40 or 50 years. Those were just four little introductory comments. I'd like to now just get onto the, the, the meat of what I want to say, and that is primarily this. The parables are always about the kingdom. So when you read a parable, it's always about the kingdom. Remember, we looked in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes preaching, saying, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of God is at hand. And everything about his ministry is a demonstration of the kingdom coming. And so... His, his uh, activity is the power which demonstrates that he is king. And so the kingdom is not so much a place as it is an action. And that's why we want to, together as a church, we want to trust to see many saved this year, to see many healed this year, to see many delivered this year, to see marriages restored this year, etc., etc., etc. Why? Because it's the demonstration of the kingdom that Jesus is king and his kingdom is in our lives and as he changes us, it's a demonstration of his kingdom coming more and more and more in a greater and greater way in our lives. So his rule comes as his kingdom comes in our lives. And um, he promises us, he says, we will inherit the kingdom and as you and I experience more and more the, the saving sovereign grace of God in our lives and his sovereign power, so more and more the kingdom comes in us and this is what the parables are a demonstration of. Secondly, the parables not only speak about the kingdom, but the parables invite us to experience God's kingdom by faith. 
Yeah? They are invitation. The gospel message is an invitation. Always. God invites you. His kindness calls you to repentance by the Holy Spirit. It's an invitation always. He never forces his kingdom upon you. In the same way, the parables are invitations to come and experience something of the kingdom. And you do that by faith. You do that as you respond to him. You do it as you, out of a place of humility, lay down some things, and then you begin to experience the kingdom. I begin to experience the kingdom in my life in a deeper and deeper measure. And that's why Jesus says to his little band of brothers, the close disciples, verse 12, so he says this, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you. Yeah? Not to the crowds. Not to those on the outside. Those that are close to him. The ones closest to him. The, one that is, the ones that are getting to know him. He says, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you. What does that mean? Well, obviously by definition, a secret is something that you know that no one else knows. Um, if I sent you an email, if I sent you a letter in an envelope... It would be a secret between you and me until you opened the letter or opened the email and read it for yourself. Okay? But it remains a secret until you open it. It remains a secret till you read it, till it becomes yours. And so this is the invitation that um, Jesus is making. He's saying to them, you need to start, you must listen well and hear well, because if you listen well and discern what I'm saying about, there's a secret that I want to give you that's going to affect everything. That's what he's trying to say. And so he says, to those that have ears, let them hear. And uh, <clears throat> I want to say, secondly, in this little section, <clears throat> it's really important to see what the Greek word is here. Because it's, it's, some translations say secret, some translations say the mystery of the kingdom has been given to us. And I, I do want to um, define that, because it doesn't mean complicated, it doesn't mean mysterious in some kind of unexplainable hippie kind of way. You know? Whenever you see movies and there's, a, there's anything about spirituality in movies, it's normally like in a kind of, it's like very mysterious. You know, can't understand that. Like really deep. The gospel's like mysterious. It's out there, man. It's like far out. It's not in that kind of way. The gospel is very practical. It's not mysterious. That's not what Jesus is saying. The gospel is not mysterious in that kind of way. He's saying this. He's saying the gospel, the word mysterion is the Greek word there. He's saying it's, it's only a mystery to those that don't understand the secret. But when you understand the secret, it becomes absolutely obvious. That's what he's saying in terms of mystery. So what I'm trying to say to you is how many of you before you were saved, you read the scripture... And it just didn't make any sense. And I've heard people say that to me over and over again. That's why we're doing the Bible course. I'm afraid to read the scripture. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to connect all the dots. Well, when you have the secret of the kingdom, when you have Jesus, when he's made you alive, when you read the scripture, something changes and you begin to see it in a different way. Isn't that true? Once you've got the mystery, and this is what Paul says, and clearly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling, and my speech and my message was not plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
And then he says in verse 6, Yet amongst the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart the same word. We impart a secret mysterion, a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages in glory, and none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they did, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul says exactly what I'm trying to say to you. The mystery, mysterion, is Christ crucified. It's Him, it's His gospel. When you get that, you get everything else. And so, third thing, the parables show, in general, parables show the difference between the lost and the saved. And some people don't like to hear this part of Jesus' message. But this is what I mean. The people that were listening to Jesus' stories were a curious mix of people. They were both full of admiration. They admired Jesus. They saw miracles which impressed them. Jesus seemed in a measure to be popular, but there were few that had submitted their lives to him. Very few. Lots that liked all the razzmatazz around Jesus, but very few that had come and said, you are Lord, you are Messiah. They said things like, he teaches like not, no one had ever heard. He doesn't teach like the scribes and the Pharisees. But at the same time, there were those that were plotting to kill him. <laughs> and the point of the healings that Jesus did was to draw people's attention towards the kingdom that he was bringing. And so the kingdom is not just about healing. The kingdom is about healing, but it's also about, the kingdom is about receiving the word of God. It's about righteousness, peace, joy. It's about having a relationship with God the Father through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom's about. And that the people that uh, are seeing Jesus heal, they don't fully get that yet. They don't fully appreciate his kingdom. And so I want to ask you, as I ask myself, do we really know Jesus and the fullness of his kingdom? I go back to a message that Clive preached in December. Who do you want Jesus to be? What do you want Jesus to be? <laughs> yeah? Are we asking God just for a fuller, fuller revelation of his kingdom? So Jesus puts his teaching, all of this into parables that taught that his kingdom was coming and he taught them about forgiveness, and now he's teaching them by the lakeside. And he uses this indirect parables, story kind of teaching, which he says the most important of is the parable of the sower. And he gives the story without explanation, and then he uses this puzzling verse in chapter 4, verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. I don't know if you've ever wondered about that verse, but I find that a confusing verse. There's, there's much that um, Jesus says that's difficult to understand. And he's actually quoting Isaiah. And if you remember the story of Isaiah, Isaiah is before God, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, asked to the Lord, and he was high and lifted up. Remember that vision that Isaiah has? And he says, um, God anoints him. The angel comes and anoints his tongue, and, and God speaks to him. And I'll read it for you. Um, it says this, um, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go to this people and say, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, their eyes heavy, their eyes blind, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now, I don't know about you, but on that reading, it's a quite a difficult verse to understand, isn't it? 
on the face of it, it seems that God is saying to Isaiah that the course of his life is going to be uh, deliberately designed to make people fail to understand the message that he's speaking. <laughs> That's what it seems to be saying to me. And so is Jesus saying that? Is Jesus using parables to deliberately make it difficult for people to understand what he's saying? No, I don't think that's the case. I think this. The one thing that translations of, of languages don't do for us is give us the tone of voice with which the person is speaking. We've got to imagine the tone of voice that um, the people are using when they speak. And I'm absolutely convinced that Isaiah, when he's saying this, um, declaring this in, our, in, the, in that chapter of Isaiah, he's using a voice half-filled with irony, half-filled with despair, but with absolute love. That's what I believe Isaiah, how he's speaking that. And it's like he's saying this. He's saying, God sent me to bring truth to these people, but it seems for all the good that I'm trying to do, I might have well have been sent to hit my head against a brick, ball, brick wall because they're not getting it. That's what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, I'm, I'm doing what God's called me to do, but these people, they're just not getting it. There's something in them. It's like God himself has hardened their hearts so that they can't hear, hear um, my voice. And in the same way, when Jesus is speaking his parables, I believe he wanted them to be flashes of revelation that people would go, Aha, yeah, I get it. That's what you're talking about. But it seems like when he speaks, it's just like dull incomprehension. People are not getting it. And so what does he do? Jesus turns in the same way to his disciples. Like, um, uh, and he, he, he says to them, do you remember Isaiah? Or I feel like Isaiah right now. That's what he's saying. I feel like Isaiah. Don't you remember what Isaiah said? He said it was like the people's hearts were so hard that they weren't getting his message. And I feel the same. That's what Jesus is saying. And the, the, this is the, the key though. When Jesus says this to the people, his disciples, he's not saying it in an irritated way. He's not saying it in an, in an angry way, in an exasperated way. He's saying it with a longing in his heart because he knows he's got an incredible gift to give these people, but they're just not seeing it. That's the heart. And so, in that sense, the parables do show the difference between the lost and the saved. They do show the difference between those who get it and those who don't. The secret of the kingdom. And so what it points us to, it points us to the sovereignty of God. And I want to just look at that. What's the time? I'll be another 10 minutes. Helen says to me, I mustn't say I'm finishing and then go on for 20 minutes. <laughs> so I am nearly finished, all right? But the parables do demonstrate the sovereignty of God. And again, this is such a difficult thing for us to understand, the sovereignty of God. And I don't claim to understand it perfectly or completely. But let me try and say what I, what I mean, what I'm trying to say. Up until this point, Jesus' teaching has been simultaneously admired and rejected. Simultaneously. He said, people said they taught, that he taught with great power. But his family also said he was out of his mind. <laughs> Remember? We looked at these things. And he, last week we looked at the thing where they even said, the Pharisees, the Sadducees accused him and, and tried to say even the work of the Holy Spirit, even the fact that you cast out demons, is by Beelzebub. And they said the work of the Holy Spirit was actually the work of the devil. And we looked at that last week. And so it seems to me when I read 
the Gospels, the ministry of Jesus is always greeted with wonder, amazement, awe, and at the same time, it's greeted with rejection and fear. It has both of those things. And the same is true with the parables. The secret of the kingdom has been given to the close ones, the disciples, and yet the same stories that Jesus um, tells seem to prevent other people from seeing. They just seem to confuse the issue for some people. To some they are a blessing. To some it seems like they become judgment because they don't get it. And so, for some they are a complete revelation and blessing. And for some, they seem to block the work of the Spirit. Why is that? Well, it's an uncomfortable truth that we have to confront in the Scripture that the simultaneously the teaching of Jesus and the message of the gospel shows his mercy and at the same time shows his judgment. It does. shows his mercy. He has mercy on some and he chooses to save some. And on the other hand, some don't get saved. Some don't get the message. And that is an uncomfortable truth to confront. But really, that is what this parable is talking about. The parable of the sower. There are some that get it straight away. And there are some that don't get it. That's the message of the parable of the sower. Some get it, and it's robbed from them as they go forward in their lives. It's robbed. And prosperity robs them. Blessing robs them. The cares of this world rob them. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. And I, I don't fully claim to understand everything about the sovereign work of God, but I do want to say, I have to say this to you. It does not seem that God works equally on the hearts of all people. He chooses. He is sovereign. It's one of the great mysteries of the Scripture that we have to uh, confront for ourselves and understand for ourselves. And then lastly, this parable shows that the kingdom has varying degrees of effectiveness. And I want to look at this in more detail next week. Jesus, like I said, he said this is the most important parable. Um, But it shows varying degrees of effectiveness. What I mean, well, verse 15 Some hardly even hear the message of the kingdom. They don't even really, the message of Jesus saving grace in their lives, they hardly even hear it. Some in verse 16 and 17, it says some hear the word. They are enthusiastic when they first hear it, but they've got no conviction, no deep root. And so what he's trying to say, Jesus is saying, for those kind of people, their enthusiasm starts to wear off. And I have to say, I've seen those kind of people. They're enthusiastic. But five years down the line, ten years down the line, not in a church community, not worshipping God, just somehow the word has been robbed from them. Yeah? That's what he's saying. There's, there's no real faith root that's gone deep into the heart. And as soon as there's any tribulation, any opposition, uh, the unreality of their position is shown and they kind of drift away. And I'm not saying this in a condemning way. I'm saying this is what Jesus taught in terms of, of the kingdom having varying degrees of effectiveness in our lives. And he says in verse uh, 18, there are others that receive the word, but worries, 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 financial worries, worries about marriage, worries about my kids and how they're going to be raised, worries about the future, worries about this, worries about that. These worries rob people. That's what he's saying. And he's saying even wealth can rob you. Prosperity. And he says, because of those worries that rob us, the kingdom has not got much effect 
in our lives. There's great power in, in the kingdom, but it can be resisted. We can resist the work of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, he concludes, and he says in verse 20, but then those who they are, that hear the message and it bears much fruit. So my point is this, that the sovereign work of God is different in our lives and we have to, we have to um, come to terms with that, that God is sovereign <laughs> and he works as he wills in people's lives. And even amongst those who hear, there's a varying degree of effectiveness in how we hear. And so, next week, I would like to look more at verse 12, because verse 12 says that the devil comes immediately that the word is sown, the devil comes to rob it. And our vision for this church is rooted in Christ, planted in fruitful, planted in family, fruitful in life. We, God wants us to be fruitful. And the promise of this amazing parable is that for those that hear the word and persevere and hear the word, you will be fruitful. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And we want to be fruitful as a church community. We do. So let's pay attention then. What robs the word from us? I'm going to look at that next week. I think it has to do with persistence. It has to do with our hearts. It has to do with humility. It has to do with how we receive what God is saying. All these things. But we do want to be fruitful, and I'll look at it in more detail next week. We want to hold on. We will not be distracted. We want to persevere so that we can see the fullness of the kingdom come. So I just want to conclude by asking you these things then. As I ask myself, and that's the thing about preaching, you always have to go through the process in your own life. <laughs> isn't it? And let God speak to you. But I want to ask you, what do you think, how do you think about the word that comes to you? How do you think about the word that comes to you? When, the, when you're in a life group meeting or someone shares something with you or you hear preaching, how do you think about the word that comes to you? How do you receive it? You because I believe the devil does want to rob it. Because he knows that if it is and gets into our hearts, it will, will bear fruit. And so how we receive it is very important. Why don't you think this week, as you go away after the meeting today, about how you actually receive the Word? Is there anything in your life that's stopping you receive the Word? I'm not accusing anyone. just asking you. What's, what in your life... Might, stopping you, might be stopping you receiving the word effectively. Uh, how, how do you and I choose to respond to what we hear? Uh, you know, one of the things I was chatting with, with Helen, I mean, I spend a lot of time reading and preparing. And I feel like sometimes I say to her, I don't know. This parable has spoken so deeply to me because my job is to sow the seed. <laughs> I'm a sower. That's what I'm going to do. I sow the seeds, preach the word, trust that it's bearing fruit. And then sometimes when you see things in people's lives that destroy their lives, it's like, I didn't, did I do a good job, God? No, but it's also, it's also not just the sower, it's a reciprocal, it's the, it's the hearer, isn't it? So perhaps we should pray for the preacher, absolutely, but we should pray for the listeners. We should pray for each other before the word comes, isn't that right? So the word can go into a soft heart. I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm already preaching next week's message. But I want to look next week at how the devil comes to rob 
us from his word. What, will, what, will you, what are you going to do with this message when you go away today? <laughs> what are you going to do with it? I want to encourage you to think about it this week. I want to encourage you to engage your mind and to say, Jesus, what do you want to say to me about this parable? How is your word being effective in my life? Is it more, could it be more effective? Could, there be, could I be more fruitful? What's stopping me from being fruitful? And how can you help me to do that? How's the soil? That's what I'm saying. The soil, the heart. How's the soil and how are we receiving it? And I believe, you know this, I believe this, that as we, um, as we explore these things together, the word, when it produces fruit, it produces more joy, more righteousness, more peace, more of all the things that we long for. And so it's really important that we let it transform us.